from the Technology Association of Iowa, welcome to the Iowa Tech Policy Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Waller, with my co-host, Molly Ross. This podcast will provide an exclusive look into technology-focused legislation during the 2022 session at the Iowa State House. We will speak with state lawmakers and Iowa technology leaders from various industries on specific tech legislation, what it means for Iowans, and how it may impact tech companies across the state. The Iowa Tech Policy Podcast is proudly presented by Shazam, a member-owned debit network processor and core provider that believes community-based financial institutions strengthen and improve local communities. Learn more at shazam.net. Additional support is provided by Denton's Davis Brown Law Firm. Hello and welcome to the Iowa Tech Policy Podcast. In this episode, we will focus on the impact of technology innovation and digital transformation on Iowa communities. With us today is Robert Palmer, General Counsel and Director of Government Affairs at the Iowa League of Cities. Robert, welcome to the Iowa Tech Policy Podcast. Well, Brian and Molly, thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. So, Robert, for our listeners who may not know, what is the Iowa League of Cities? That's a great question. So the Iowa League of Cities is a statewide membership association that is comprised of over 870 cities in Iowa. Just for some perspective, there's a total of 941 cities in Iowa, but some of them are are pretty small. The organization's been around for quite a while. It was founded in 1898 for primarily the same reasons that it exists today. So we provide training, we facilitate the exchange of information and services, we try and exchange best practices amongst our members, and certainly during this time of year with the legislative session and outside of it, we serve as the unified voice of cities before the state and federal governments. Well, perfect. That leads us right into my next question then. So what is specifically your role at the Iowa League of Cities? And then can you talk in general terms about what are your state legislative priorities this session? Well, you know, that's a great question that I I find myself asking every day. My (laughs) title is General Counsel and Director of Government Affairs. You know, the short answer would be that if it involves legal or legislative initiatives, then I'm usually involved. But I'm sure, Brian and Molly, you know, as an association, we often put all hands on deck and get involved in in everything we can to help out and advance the, the cause of our membership. As far as our priorities, and maybe we have a different perspective on this than some business groups or, or even other association groups. We've been around since 1898, and cities existed long before that, and they're certainly going to exist in some form or another long after we're all gone. But what is needed is some core values of, of communities. What do they need to create livable areas with high quality of life? And so that's what we really try to focus It's more on the education of those overarching values from the theory that if legislators at all levels understand cities better, then they're likely to make decisions that are in the interest of those communities. And so we really look at kind of some high level initiatives such as cities need to be able to provide infrastructure and public safety. Those are two of the the core roles of communities. They want to be able to be partners within economic development. And that has a variety of meetings uh, depending on the size of the city and the type of projects that are able to be drawn there. They need financial stability so that they can do long-term planning that's in the interest of their residents. And then it's very important for our members to have the ability to react to those local needs and concerns 
These are elected officials at the local level. And like all elected officials, they want to be able to respond to what voters are asking of them. And that's what we call local control or another way to describe it in Iowa is home rule. But the simplest way to understand it is they want the ability to react from what their constituents are asking of them. Perfect. So you mentioned infrastructure. One of the bills that I believe you've been working on this year is a right away or House file 2296. Can you tell us about that bill and why it matters? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when we talk about infrastructure, I really see that as one of the core roles of community. You know, what we're talking about at all levels of government and certainly with cities is this agreement to come together and work and try and facilitate certain things that otherwise as individuals would be outside of of our financial possibilities. And when you look at infrastructure and think about roads and bridges and water, whether it's stormwater or clean water, those are clearly things that we need to come together and work to be able to provide. The right-of-way is this uh, public space that, for the best description, it's really that space that sits between the road and the sidewalk. It certainly can can take on other definitions, but that is a, a public space that is utilized to help facilitate infrastructure. One way to think of the right-of-way in the old ways would be that it's it's a piece of land that has a series of pipes and wires going down it that provide these services that really for a long time, they were done kind of ad hoc. A a new provider came in, let's get the wire in there. Over time, what we've seen is that the right-of-way has become congested. We've got more providers that are there and want to be there. And and we're not sure what future technologies will need to be in the right-of-way. 20 years ago, we wouldn't have anticipated uh, the need for fiber optic wire in the right-of-way connecting up city services like streetlights and other public safety. And so what we see as valuable is the ability for cities to manage the right-of-way, both in a way that's that's for the public interest, because we are governmental entities. So expenditure of dollars and management of assets needs to be done in the public interest, but also in a way that provides for future innovation and, and the use of future users. And so when we look at the bill, uh, House File 2296, but legislation like this with the legislative process can certainly change numbers. But the concept here seems very straightforward, but it can create problems for cities. And I'll give you kind of two examples. The bill requires non-discriminatory access to right-of-way and conduit placed in the right-of-way. So I think, of course, we say the term non-discriminatory and we think, hey, that sounds great. I can tell you that cities in the state of Iowa are not in the business of discriminating against providers or anybody else, and and certainly they shouldn't be. But what's not clear is what the word discriminatory or the phrase, in this case, non-discriminatory, means. What actions would a city take that would potentially be in violation of that? And, And why we're so careful around those things is because where there is uncertainty, that leads to lawsuits. And so... If you want to think of who really likes a term like non-discriminatory, it's the attorneys that can come in and then look at that and view it through their client's eyes. And if you want to see how confusing the term non-discriminatory is, you know, get five attorneys in a room and ask them all to look at a project and say whether it is. And you're likely to get five different examples of whether or not this practice is non-discriminatory. So one example that does concern us is So looking at the conduit, for example, and we'll talk a little bit more about that when we get to the essential core for purpose. But when we look at conduit, 
it can be built, and I'm not the tech expert here, right? I, I kind of have an understanding of this from working with those who know a lot more than me. But my understanding is that different technology doesn't always fit in the same conduit. Some wires need to be grounded and others may not. And so if we were to install a conduit that can't handle wires that need grounding or maybe other special considerations, is that non-discriminatory? And I don't have an answer for that at this time. And so it may be something that maybe it stifles innovation because the city says, well, we don't know what that term means. Or maybe they pursue a, a project that they feel is, is in the public interest and non-discriminatory. But then a lawsuit is filed and it, and it turns out that it is or is not. And whether or not you win a lawsuit, uh, it's expensive to to have those. So that is one area that that certainly gives us concern. There's another part of this bill that talks about cities and the conduit that is in the right of way and our inability to tell an entity that they need to put their wires into this conduit. And, and Brian and Molly, I'm assuming your, your members are, are very well versed in all this, but just to put it really simply, you know, we talked about that, that overpopulated right of way that in many cases may have a bunch of lines crisscrossing one another. That creates problems for future providers that want to get into that right of way. But we also see a lot of concerns as cities go to do either infrastructure or economic development projects that require for those wires to be moved. And so by putting the wires in conduit, we now know where they are. They're more easy to be moved when a project comes up. They're less likely to be cut by other providers who may be working there. So we see the ability to have these wires in the right of way, not as some means of control over an industry, but as the way to future-proof these right of ways to provide the space that's going to be needed, the space and organization, quite frankly, that's going to be needed for these future uses. And, and certainly that organization is required in some of our larger, particularly older communities that have had things in the right of way for years. The newer communities or newer subdivisions of these communities they're all thinking ahead of this now because now we understand this to be an issue. But it wasn't too long ago where the right of way was almost seen as, you know, there's an unlimited amount of space there. So as we look at that bill, I think, and this is where we kind of connect to the other legislation we'll discuss, we see conduit as an incredibly valuable piece of infrastructure moving forward. For the reasons I've highlighted, the organization and the ability to protect it for future users and to expedite some of these projects. But we are concerned about what these terms that we're not, that are maybe intentionally vague or that aren't being clarified during the process of, of what impact that could have in the future. Denton's Davis Brown is a law firm committed to helping clients grow, protect, operate, and finance their organizations. With offices in more than 200 locations across 80 countries, Denton supports clients locally, nationally, and globally. More at dentons.com backslash DDB. Last session was a big victory for Iowa with the investment of broadband dollars to flow into Iowa communities. But I think you highlighted a couple of things. One is how do you future-proof that investment, which is really challenging, but also the complexities that come within communities now that you're going to open up a lot of providers that want to provide that service to Iowa communities. So I think that was a really unique dive into technology and what that means to our communities. Another bill that you kind of mentioned, I would love for you to unpack a little bit, and you mentioned it is the essential corporate purpose. That is House File 2459. What is that and why does it matter? 
It's a great question. And, you know, I'm sure like technology, cities are very complicated. So I won't go too deep in everything except to say that what we're talking about with this legislation is how we finance conduit throughout a city. There are various ways to do this. Currently, we could finance it through essential corporate purpose or general corporate purpose. And let me kind of back up and clarify. A central corporate purpose is really for those core city services. So think of infrastructure like your streets, your water facilities, your stormwater management. And we really have taken the perspective for at least the past five years that broadband infrastructure is just as important as those other types of infrastructure I mentioned. If we go back 20 years ago, maybe we could all see a future where uh, high-speed internet was not essential. But I think as we now, as we're positioned today, not just because of the pandemic, I think that certainly expedited the trend. But as we look to bring cities online, so to speak, connect up all of our traffic signals, our public safety, having the conduit in the ground for cities for those purposes can already be considered an essential corporate purpose. However, when we look at the whole city and we get out into residential areas and some of the other areas that aren't served by uh, city infrastructures connected, the question becomes, how do we finance these types of infrastructure? So for several years, the league sought to add broadband infrastructure, a pretty broad term, to a central corporate purpose, which would allow for a city to bond to pay for it. Now, what we see this as is not... Uh, necessarily some new way to pay for things. What it does is provide clarity that as you're doing a larger project, you can move forward with the broadband as a portion of an essential corporate purpose project without any separating it off or, or going through a referendum on a specific part that may be part of a much larger project. And so that's how we see this essential corporate purpose conversation is really adding in a key infrastructure into Iowa's code so that it can be treated the same way as roads and bridges and water infrastructure. Over the past several years, we have heard from the industry that there are concerns about cities being able to finance these initiatives too easily. I think there are some concerns uh, around municipal broadband. And I certainly understand that when you get out there into competition. The league's perspective isn't that you should or should not have municipal broadband. As far as that goes, we think that should be a local choice up to the local community. However, we do see the infrastructure, that conduit, as valuable to both the city for all the reasons I mentioned earlier, but also, Brian, to connect it back to your comments about really rolling out broadband coverage across the state. Conduit for providers, it lowers the cost and time of installation of these new technologies. So it's good for existing providers because as they go to upgrade lines to be able to compete with, with newer providers, they are able to do so at a reduced cost and a reduced time. And also it's great for new providers because they can come in and install their infrastructure uh, much more quickly as well. And I think you can probably pick up that if it's great for new coming in, then it's great for competition. And that's what's great for residents. When we see the competition and more providers coming into an area, that's where we see significant price drops and also quality improvements too, because what conduit can help us do by removing some of those costs is create competition over service and quality of service rather than just a geographical area that's only served by a limited number of providers. So, Robert, you're clearly engaged in uh, 
and passionate about, as you put it, bringing cities online and see how valuable it is to ensure that Iowans and Iowa businesses are connected. We hear a lot about smart cities in the news and in the media. When you think about Iowa and our cities and your members, where do you see Iowa on a national scale when it comes to smart cities and what may be next to help us keep pace? That's a fantastic question. And as we look at the state of Iowa, you know, we often hear about the urban and rural divide. What we really have, and it's a bit urban rural, but we have a lot of small communities in this state. We have 500 cities below 500 in population. So the reason I want to point that out early on is it's not that if they don't have all of the, the smart city equipment or other amenities that we may think of, it's not that they're doing anything wrong. They simply don't have the resources to be able to invest. And that's not just the smallest 500. You really can look at, at a lot of communities as really being very responsible with public dollars. And that means that there's not always a lot of extra to expend on newer projects. So some of these things will come online more slowly. However, if we're looking for success stories, we have got some communities in this state that, that it appears to me are on the forefront of both their desire to be a part of the infrastructure solution, whether that is putting in conduit or whether it's forming partnerships that help get uh, the fiber out into these communities, or maybe it's planning early or becoming a dig once community that really gets the information of when they're opening up a trench out there. But really, I'm seeing so many cool things happen with connecting. And I know this is the term of smart city, but I think about it as connecting everything together and not necessarily in a way that people see. So for example, we have communities that have installed uh, equipment on their traffic lights that can adjust those traffic lights based on the the movement of cars. And so as the, the traffic increases, the lights can switch their pattern to better accommodate that flow. We've got cities that are real-time monitoring their, their stormwater management, their wastewater flows. So as I look at cities And I start from the place that it's difficult to think about an area of cities that won't be changed by technology. And then I kind of go down our our core areas. Our infrastructure is absolutely going to change. Even those things that we see as kind of the old gray infrastructure of roads. You know, if you have, certainly we see cars moving to be more uh, autonomous and automated. But if you just think about the lane assist that's on many of our cars today, As those lane lines deteriorate, that lane assist doesn't work as much anymore. So now we need to take those considerations into our painting and maybe our our management of streets. Public safety is absolutely huge. I mean, the police cars are like mobile command centers these days with with many, many amenities that, that are both active when the car is parked, but also while it's just driving down the road, being able to scan license plates and other things. But then if we look at that individual officer, you know, you have the traditional radio, which connects in new ways and is constantly evolving. You've got the cell phone that we all think of. Now you also have these body cameras, right? And that comes with a a lot of very valuable things that can be used, but it also comes with different challenges for cities. How do we maintain those? What do we do with that data? And then, you know, I, I think another really cool area is, and we could talk about this all day because just about every area of cities is being touched. But, but one of them that I've really found to be pretty neat is you can put equipment on every city vehicle that does real-time road monitoring while those vehicles are out there. And, and they're doing it, I would describe it as passive, meaning the driver of the vehicle 
doesn't have to actively do anything. So this could be on your snow plows, your police cars, just parks vehicles. And that is feeding real-time information about conditions of the road, whether it's deteriorating, what the traffic flows are like, back to cities. And so all of this data is really useful for future planning, knowing where to expend resources when we're doing improvements, upgrades. And so it's really neat to see how much more, when we look at smart cities, I think people really kind of think of their interaction and their interface with it. I really look at kind of that unseen part, the infrastructure, and really like a road when it's working correctly, it makes your life easier and you don't necessarily notice it. So there's a lot of really exciting things to do in this area. Well, the Technology Association of Iowa is in our 25th year as an association here in the state. And in talking to the Iowa League of Cities, you're in almost your 125th year. The service that you've provided over the last century to the state of Iowa and our communities has been amazing. But I'm really happy to hear your command of the impact of digital transformation, automation, and all these emerging technologies that we'll have on Iowa communities. And I think they're better off for it that they have the Iowa League of Cities to help them through this process. I can guarantee our listeners today got a little smarter to to understand the impact and the intersection of technology and Iowa communities. So Robert Palmer, thank you for joining us today on the Iowa Tech Policy Podcast. Thanks, Brian and Molly. That wraps up this episode of the Iowa Tech Policy Podcast. Thank you to Shazam and Denton's Davis-Brown Law Firm for supporting this initiative. At TAI, we believe every Iowa company is a technology company. Join us at technologyiowa.org to build and unite Iowa's technology community.